This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Our first reading today comes from Amos. Alas, for those who are at ease in Zion, and for those who feel secure on Mount Samaria. Alas, for those who lie on beds of ivory, and lounge in their couches, and eat lamb from the flock, and calves from the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, and like David, improvised on instruments of music, who drank wine from bowls, and anointed themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore they shall now be the first to go into exile, and the revelry of the loungers shall pass away. Holy wisdom, holy word. Our second reading today is from 1 Timothy. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment, for we brought nothing into this world so that we can take nothing out of it. But we have food and clothing. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you were made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all things and of, of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the commandments without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom who no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves a treasure of good, a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that is really life. Word of God. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 16th chapter. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, 
covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. It seems like ever since religion defined some form of afterlife, we have delighted in the sport of figuring out Who's going to be where? And today we get a delightful story of somebody burning in hell and perhaps it should be our duty then to look back and see exactly how he got there and why. Today we have another story of Jesus that begins, there was a rich man. We've gotten fairly used to that by now. There was this rich man, and then there was this poor man named Lazarus. Already we should get a hint that something odd is going on because Nowhere else in Jesus' parables does anybody get a name. The only name ever given to a character is to this one, this Lazarus, which should strike us as a bit ironic since according to the story, Lazarus seems to be kind of the invisible man lying outside the gated community of this rich man. Whereas the rich man, we are told, 
dresses and dines conspicuously. And yet he does not receive a name. Over the years, tradition has tried to give him a name, assigning him the name Dives. You knew that, didn't you? I saw, I saw the lips moving. Dives, which is kind of a half-hearted attempt because all it means is rich man. So we have a somewhat uninteresting story. There's a, a rich man who lives as rich people do. There is a poor man who lives as poor people do. And then we are told that they both die. And suddenly there is a change of scenery. Now one of the things I discovered when I was researching my class on hell was that there are all kinds of books about hell. Whereas there are very few books about where our ideas of heaven come from. Which just goes to show that we seem to be a whole lot more interested in hell than in heaven. My theory on this is because it's just too darn entertaining. We all of us have this little list in the back of our head of people we'd like to see get their comeuppance. People who have offended us, people who have uh, shown us up, people who have humiliated us, people who have lived some way that we think that they shouldn't. And so when all of a sudden the scene changes, it's as if the curtain is pulled back a little bit and we get to peek inside with that kind of voyeuristic interest to find out whether the people we thought were going to be there or not, and whether the punishment is going to fit the crime. And when it's pulled back, we find the rich man in agony. We find him in flames while we find Lazarus nestling picturesquely like a puppy into the bosom of Abraham. And at this point, we would expect that there would be some sort of explanation as to why it turned out this way. We expect sentence to be pronounced. But oddly enough, in this story, no sentence is given. No blame is given. No even description is given. Who was Lazarus? Was Lazarus someone who had made bad decisions? Was Lazarus someone who abused drugs? Was Lazarus someone who gambled his money away? Did he beat his wife? Did he alienate his children? Or was he simply a poor victim of a job layoff? Was he in a foreign land with no family? We don't know. Likewise with the rich man. Was he a mean cuss 
who loved opening the window so that Lazarus would get to sniff all the things he was eating, but he couldn't have any? When he would go out of his gate, would he lean over and say, get a job as he went by? Or was he troubled by the sight of Lazarus? Did he pray for Lazarus? Did he wonder if maybe shouldn't somebody do something to help? We don't know. We aren't told. All we do is get to see this landscape. That's all that is given to us. And what we see is the rich man suffering, Lazarus comfortable, and then the main feature of this landscape, this great chasm that exists between the two. And when the rich man cries out to Abraham for comfort, Abraham explains to him in rather level, matter-of-fact tones, you had your comfort in life, now you are suffering. Lazarus suffered in life, now he is comfortable. Lazarus was starving for a mere morsel of food in life, now in death you are longing for a mere drop of water. What we see is the great reversal that the prophets so often talked about. We see this reversal when all of a sudden the rich man discovers that he is invisible and Lazarus finds himself in the lap of luxury. A name is a powerful thing. A name allows us to really see somebody. I know this all too well because I'm terrible with names. But I know that when I learn a name, I really start to know the person. That's why that scene with Moses and the burning bush is so powerful because in that moment, God gives Moses God's name. And in doing so, invites Moses to know God. There's a world of difference between seeing people and seeing a person. When I was in seminary, this was before the, the human sexuality decision in the ELCA, but it was leading up to it. And so there was lots of talk among the students about the rights and wrongs, the do's and don'ts of allowing LGBTQ folks to be ordained. You'd see these little circles and, and like good rabbis, they'd be engaged in heated discussion. But at the same time, we all knew that there were LGBTQ students studying with us to be ordained. And I found that the rhetoric would change and the volume would come down when the question moved from should we or shouldn't we, right or wrong, but rather are you willing 
to go tell Bob that he needs to go home, that he cannot be ordained? Are you willing to tell Bob that the Spirit has not called him into ministry? And when all of a sudden it became about a person instead of about a concept, it made a world of difference. Or more recently, the whole question about, the, uh, about immigration, the photo of the father and daughter who drowned crossing the Rio Grande, all of a sudden it stopped being about a concept and we saw it as dealing with people and the nature of the, of the discussion changes. The fact that Lazarus is given a name invites us to truly see him. And I think that's what this story is about. In our fascination with the afterlife and the do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs and, and appropriate punishments for this or that, we fail to see the impact this makes on this life. Because all that we see in this story in the afterlife is what was already there in life. The one thing that was made plain to us in the setup of this story was that there was a great chasm that existed between the rich man and Lazarus. Such that the rich man perhaps didn't even notice him there. And it is that great chasm that we are invited to see today. To see all the ways in which we dig those chasms between us. Whether they are a chasm of economic disparity, whether it is a social gap, whether it is a nationalistic gap, a language gap, a race gap, a fill in the gap. Fill in the gap. I do not believe that the great reversal is God's intended end. That would make no sense to me if God decided, you know, what we're going to do is we're simply going to turn things upside down so the other half get to suffer for eternity while this half get to be comfortable. Rather, the great reversal is designed to make us see now, here. To see the gaps that we have created and rather than digging them deeper, to start to fill them in now. To fill in those gaps that separate us. I think the story is intentional in not pronouncing judgment on the rich man or Lazarus, but simply describing what it sees. For it's not that the rich man is evil. It's not that Lazarus is good. It's that a condition exists in which they are not one family. In which they are not one people in which they fail to see each other for who they are, which is a brother, a sister, 
part of God's good and holy creation. As I mentioned at the start of the service, we have this vision. And it's so hard to live into it because we are excellent ditch diggers. Not so good at filling in. But God holds up this vision before us of a landscape where the mountains have been brought low, the valleys have been filled in, and all God's people, even the weakest among them, walk on this straight and narrow road, this wide highway into God's holy kingdom. Amen.